0: We'll be Acts chapter 21, I am going to reverse just ever so slightly, um, and just in a brief way of review. Plus, it kind of makes sense to kind of read, I think, chapter 20 into chapter 21. It makes sense. So, I'm going to reverse back to Acts 20, starting verse 36. Now, I know on the slide, it says here, from Ephesus to Jerusalem. And the reality is, they weren't really in Ephesus, but... They were Miletus, which is just about thirty, forty miles south of Ephesus. It was a port town, and the point was is that Paul wanted to meet with the elders of the church of Ephesus to um, say um, his final farewells, really, to them. Uh, and that's why I say from Ephesus to Jerusalem because the work was in Ephesus, but there's also the surrounding area. So <clears throat> um, it said in verse thirty-six, when Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. So he is the elders praying together, uh, saying their final farewells. And uh, and we'll see that a big part of his farewells with these people that he encounters, these uh, churches that he's was instrumental in in, in establishing, developing, and um, building, uh, the prayer was a big part of it. And so they, they knelt down humbly before the Lord. They spent some time in prayer. Then afterwards, they all wept, and they embraced and kissed him. Then uh, verse 38, what grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. And then they accompanied him to the ship. So it was truly a, a sad moment here, um, this farewell um, with Paul. They You could definitely see the love that they had for one another. Um, and of course we know that this is the love that we um, have for one another as disciples. This is what Jesus said, that the world will know us because of the love. So here's a good example of that love here in, in with Paul and the elders in Ephesus. So then chapter 21, verse 1, it goes on to say, after we had torn ourselves away, again, I, I highlighted that because torn ourselves away, it's just like you could see the emotion, you could see the love. And, and you guys can probably imagine, you know, it would, it would be hard to say goodbye to someone like Paul, especially if they grew close to him and, and really did love him kind of with that affectionate kind of love, you know, that complex kind of love, you know, not just, I like being with you, but, but I really like, um, what we've done together. You know, we've grown together. You're, you, Paul are a big part of our lives, you know, uh, without you, you know, and Barnabas and the gang, we wouldn't know Jesus. And that's utterly important. Uh, we wouldn't have grown and developed in such a way, which again is utterly important for them personally. And, um, And so, yeah, no doubt there was a great deal of love and adoration. So it was hard to say goodbye. But then they put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to um, Patera. We found a ship crossing over to um, Phoenicia, went on board and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. So in the next slide, we see just another, you'll be happy to know, it's probably your last map you'll ever see from me ever again. Because this is Paul's final journey to Jerusalem. After this, he his next journey is in chains, if you will. And it's, uh, he finally gets to go to Rome, but not in the most pleasant way. And we're going to talk about the implications of Paul's Travel to Rome. And, you know, and today we're going to look at whether or not Paul had to travel to Rome in chains. He could have maybe traveled to Rome as a free man, but we're going to look at that briefly today. But regardless, here he is, his final journey back to Jerusalem. As we know, we saw in this first and second journey, he liked to end in Jerusalem to make a um, uh, sacrifice, you know, temple sacrifice, which again, there's is, is, some interesting implications there. Why did Paul, teaching the new Testament, the New Covenant. Yet he still did these rituals, these these, these Old Testament Jew, Jew, you just, you know, Judean or um, um, ancient Hebrew rituals. Why did he still do these things? Um, maybe a lot of it has to do with just kind of his personal preference because he grew up doing them. Maybe it was to keep peace with the, the turbulent situation because you know he was constantly fighting with the Jews, or maybe it's just I don't know. It certainly isn't taught. It certainly isn't a doctrine in the New Testament to do these things, but it's something that Paul liked to do. And this is what he's doing. He's traveling back to Jerusalem to do these things. And here's the journey we, we just described, all the way from Miletus, which I circled the blue, down through Kos, roads, um, all the way down, sailed under Cyprus, landing in Tyre. And after that, he's going to make his journey down to Jerusalem, stopping um, his way, making a few stops, uh, visiting some churches, um, and, um, and then today we'll, we'll see him in Jerusalem. So the next slide. So here he is in Tyre. And it says here, this is a continuation of the last verse, which is verse 4. Through the Spirit, they, the disciples at Tyre, urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem. And this, I think, is an interesting question. Well, it's not a question, it's a statement. But the question's above it. Should Paul go to Jerusalem? Okay. As we know because I mean I don't know if you read Acts four by half. He, Paul does go to Rome. I mean we know already that Paul has a strong desire to go to Rome. But but when he does go to Rome, he's gonna go as a prisoner. He's not gonna go as a free man. And I think this section of of, of, of Acts chapter twenty one is is quite profound. Because it begs the question, did he have to go to Rome as a prisoner? Could he have not gone as a free man? Look at what's happening here, guys. Okay, first of all, the Spirit is talking here. That's at least what Luke seems to think when he puts, through the Spirit, they urge Paul. So it's not just that they urged Paul not to go to Jerusalem, but they urged Paul through the Spirit. At least this is what Luke's interpretation is. Maybe Luke is not disagreement with Paul. But we definitely see that Paul sees things differently than, than, than Luke, or at least these folk here in Tyre. So just hold on to this. Should Paul go to Jerusalem? If the Spirit's warning him not to go to Jerusalem, why go to Jerusalem? Again, we know he had this, 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 this custom that he liked to do that was rooted in his upbringing. And he wanted to go and he wanted to complete it. But maybe, but we, and Paul's justification for going to Jerusalem is greater than just doing it for custom's sake. But let's just continue on. But we need to keep that in the back of our minds. If Paul's even warned not to go to Jerusalem, why would he go? When it was in verse five, time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out to the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Again, that's similar You know, encounter, saying goodbye, accompanied with a time of prayer, which I think is lovely. I don't know about you guys. I don't know if you've ever encountered that. If you were maybe gone far away or gone to a place where you don't usually get out to, you know, and and these people you were visiting are Christian people, (laughs) and you spend some time in prayer before you say goodbye. There's something about it that's just really intimate. It is really quite a, a nice way to say goodbye. But this is what we see going on here. And then, verse six, after saying goodbye to each other, he went abroad, or aboard rather, the ship, and then they returned home. It's almost like when you go to escort someone to the airport, and you know you're kind of hanging out in the lobby area, and then you kind of walk with them up to the to the security, and then you know you can't go any further. And then you kind of like, what do we do here? Well, if you don't, if you're not a Christian, you just kind of give hugs and kisses and tears, and you say goodbye. But a lot of times, Christians like, to say, well, can I pray for your journey? Can I pray for you before you go? And then people in the airport are like walking around you because you are freaks praying in the airport, but. <laughs> That's all right. They can think what they want to think. So then they board the ship. They go through security, if you will. And they go to get their, their ship to, to, to continue on their journey. So verse 7, we continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at um, Ptolemaeus, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed there. So again, the church in Tyre then the church here in this Ptolemaeus, the brothers and sisters, a fellow Christian disciples, they stayed there for just a day, leaving the next day. We reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of uh, Philip, the evangelist. Oh, we remember him, Philip the evangelist. We talked about him quite a bit. You remember him and he, his journeys? It's cool to see. That here's Paul hanging out with him. Um, He's counts as one of the seven. Um, he had uh, four unmarried daughters who, are, who prophesied. It's interesting to see, you know, Philip the evangelist and his family you know, definitely were a spiritual family because of his influence. And there's no doubt that these, these daughters um, who were unmarried weren't just called or self-proclaimed prophets, but they were genuine prophets because they were people who grew up in a, I believe, in a home that was filled with the Holy Spirit, that taught um, right doctrine and were encouraged to be spiritual. And because of that, they were spiritual. They were They, were, they had the ability to prophesy. And I think that's Important. That's for us moms and dads, you know, and, and they should motivate us to have spiritual homes, which is why we do things like we're going to do on April 1st, have a, you know, uh, a, a spiritual meeting talking about f- practical, tangible, cultural things that, that we deal with as Christian parents. And how do we deal with these things in a Christian spiritual way? It's important because we want our sons and daughters to be prophets, if you will, you know, speakers of God's word. And the only way to speak God's word is to know him. And so they know him. Moving on, verse 10. After we have been there for a number of days, a prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. I'm sure Paul was glad he didn't miss the Agabus. Anyways, coming over. (laughs) Well, he actually should have listened to the Agabus. Because the Agabus is confirming what we saw in verse 4. Pay close attention. First of all, he's coming down from Judea. So it's likely he came from the area of Jerusalem. Judea, Jerusalem, that's what that is. And then we, we talked about before when they say they're coming down, it isn't a north south situation. It's always a reference to the hill, the mountain of Jerusalem. So he's coming from that area, that region. He has probably a good sense of what the spiritual scene is like, what the environment's like, hostile, ready to take Paul down ready to lock him up, to possibly kill him. So he came with a warning in verse 11. Come over to us. He took Paul's belt, or coming over to them. He took Paul's belt. You got to love it. It's one thing to actually say something, but it's another thing to be very, to have an illustration. You know, come along. And he gave a very vivid illustration. He took Paul's belt. All right, Paul, give me your belt. You're not getting the warning that they gave you in verse 4. So we're going to give you another illustration. Give me your belt, Paul, okay? And he tied his own hands and feet with it. Okay, what are you doing, Agabus? A little bit on the strange side. But okay, well, I'm up for some theatrics. And then he says this The Holy Spirit says. Now, if you were concerned with whether or not the, the Spirit in verse 4 was the Holy Spirit, well, now there's no doubt about it that the Holy Spirit's speaking to Paul. He said this, in this way, the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem will bind the owner of this belt. Oh, by the way, Paul, that's you. You're the owner of the belt. And we'll hand you over to the Gentiles. So, again, the question's asked. Is the Holy Spirit talking? Is, I mean, could Paul have been more instrumental listening to these warnings in avoiding Jerusalem? Maybe, maybe not. Bear in mind, he did write these prison epistles in prison, like Romans, Romans. the others? I don't want to guess. So some might get get wrong, but a lot of his epistles. In fact, I think the majority of his epistles are written in prison. We wouldn't have had him. Maybe he's because he said, you know, Paul, he's always running around from place to place. Maybe God, maybe it was better for us that he stopped locked up in house prison to write letters. I don't know. I'm not going to speculate. There's different ways to look at it. I don't want to be hard on Paul, but the question is, instrumentally, what does God want to do? What's better for Paul? To stay a free man or to become a prisoner? Well, the Holy Spirit seems to be warning him. Maybe his warning is like God's just being clear. Listen, Paul, the choice is yours. The choice is yours to go to Jerusalem or not. I'm not going to control your thoughts. I'm not going to control your destiny. But the reality is if you go to Jerusalem, be well aware that you will be a prisoner. Next slide, please. So the, really the question then now turns to this. Is he being stubborn? Or is he being brave? Or is he being both? I don't know. Does it matter? I don't know. Like I said, maybe it does matter. Maybe, maybe the benefits are way more instrumental if you consider the fact that we have the New Testament. So verse 21, verse 12, when we heard this, we and the people there pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. So the kind of common sense, natural way of doing things is, well, the Spirit's warning you that you're going to get locked up Maybe you shouldn't go. That's a common sense thing. You're going you're gonna to run into trouble. Don't go, Paul. But Paul's answer is interesting. He goes, oh, why are you weeping and breaking my heart? <laughs> like You're breaking my heart. Don't cry. I am ready. Not only to be bound, but also die. I mean, maybe Paul saw that his missions were done. And it was time for him to maybe have a different depth and dimension in his ministry. And maybe that would, maybe this would bring him to that new level, that new place that he's ready for. I'm ready. I've traveled. I've traveled a lot. I mean, I don't know. It seems a bit mysterious to me because it seems to me like he wanted to go to Rome and I'm imagining he wanted to go to Rome free. And if you're going to Jerusalem, there's a good chance he won't go to Rome at all if he dies. So what's he ready for? So he's not, he goes, so I'm cool, I'm ready, you know, to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem the name of the Lord Jesus. So again, is he being stubborn? Is he being brave? Is he being both? I don't know. When, we, when, when he would not be uh, persuaded, we gave up and said the Lord's will be done. <laughs> okay, Paul. It's between you and God at this point. And that's why I put this little thing here. I mean, do and I ask this question, kind of this self-reflection question. Do we live for Christ? Or Do we die for Christ? The reason why I think I put those questions is you might wonder, well, wait a second, do I choose one or the other? But the thing is, I think it's one thing to say, I live for Christ. But I think it's a lot more depth when you say, I die for Christ. You know what I'm saying? Because living, at least you have some control of your life. But when you die, you have no control of your life because you surrender. And I think for Paul, well, I think what the other Christians were doing, they are like, don't be stupid, Paul. Avoid Jerusalem and live your life. Live it for God. They're living for Christ. And that's a noble thing. That's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. That's a great thing to live for Christ. But Paul says, I'm going to take it a step further. Now am I ready? Not only have I lived for Christ, but I'm also willing to die for Christ. And that takes to a new depth where I think these Christians here in this town is like, they're like, what? We don't get it, dude, but whatever. <laughs> May the Lord just be with you. So I think that's why I put, again, on the very bottom, count the cost. And some people are, are able to say, okay, actually, some people aren't even here yet. Some people aren't even ready to live for Christ. They, they, they're, they're not, they, they've counted the cost of living for Christ, and they say, I'm not there yet. Some people will say, okay, I've counted the cost, and I'll live for Christ, but I'm certainly not ready to die for Christ. Paul, he was ready to do that. He counted the costs and he says I'm going in there. I'm going there. I'm ready. I've counted the cross costs and I'm ready. If I if I get bound, I'm bounded, if that's a word. If I die, I'm dighted, if that's a word. Next well then we'll finish up first fifteen sixteen. After this, we start on our way to Jerusalem. Some of the disciples from um, Caesarea accompanied us and brought us home, host, to the home of... Um, that's the funniest name. Forget the names from my third boy. That's a cool name. Manassin. It's like, it's like so we're missing a vowel there or something like that. Isn't there sometimes to be uh, a vowel between the M and the O? Like Monassen or Manassin or something like that. Anyways, he was a man from Cyprus and one of the early disciples. Next slide. Verse 17... When we arrived at Jerusalem, the brothers and sisters received us warmly. Of course they did. They loved Paul. And this is a really good encounter. When he got to Jerusalem, he he saw the church, who loved him deeply. And plus, don't forget, he went all around the the Asia Minor and all the Gentile churches collecting tithes for the poor church in Jerusalem. So they were probably really relieved to have had some money because they were struggling and suffering. So they received him really warm. And also, this is the place where um, the the, the church leaders um, (laughs) were, you know, where they ministered and lived and worked. In verse 18, the next day, Paul and the rest of us went to see James. You know, James, he's one of the the, the chief leaders of the church. And all the elders were present. Remember, we talked about the council earlier, how they went and they sit and they discuss things about Gentiles and and the issue of, of ceremony and rituals. Well, Paul goes to see them in Jerusalem. In verse 19, he greeted them and reported in detail what God has done among the Gentiles through his ministry. Again, we all know and and recognize through our studies in acts that Paul had a special ministry to the Gentiles. that was powerful. It was profound. It was growing. And it was it was it was amazing. And so he's giving them a report. This is what's going on with the churches, these Gentile churches throughout the world. And in verse 20, when they heard this, they praised God. Yes, this is awesome. And certainly James and these elders, these Christian elders would see what God's doing in is growing and the expansion and and reaching out beyond just the, the Jews and now going into the Gentiles and and in these churches, he's growing and they're and they're and they're doing such wonderful things like providing for the church in, in Jerusalem as as one of many things. Of course, they should give praise and give, and give you know, sing, you know, you know, the praises and just ah oh, Awesome God. This is thank you, God. This is great. You're so wonderful. But then they said to Paul, You see, brother, how many thousands of Jews have believed. Okay, this is where it gets a little funky because we know here in Jerusalem there's going to be a lot of you know, great big Jewish population. This is Jerusalem, after all. And there's a lot turning to Christ, which is good. However, there's a little bit of an issue. They're full of, they're zealous for the law. And, and I'm sure Paul had that. That's why I think he returned to Jerusalem, because he, he, there was that tie into his upbringing, his, his youth, that he wasn't ready to get rid of. And he wasn't teaching it to Gentiles. The Gentiles, he said, they're free. As long as they would abstain from certain practices, they didn't have to recognize the customs. But Paul liked it personally. That's why he returned to Jerusalem. And there's others in Jerusalem who are Jews who believed in Jesus. They're like Messianic Jews, if you will. They believed in the Messiah. However, they still liked the practices of the old customs. They were zealous for the law. Well, in verse 21, they have been informed that you teach all the Jews who live among the Gentiles to turn away from Moses. Now, that's a lie. That's a lie. Paul never told the Jews to turn away from their customs. He told them not to put the yoke of a law on the Gentiles. And he recommended that the Gentiles do not return to, and we're gonna look at these in just a few moments. But here's the issue the claim is that, that he's teaching Jews to, who live among the Gentiles themselves to turn away from Moses, telling them not to circumcise their children or live according to the customs. So the problem is fourfold, as I see it. Number one, there are rumors, rumors are troublesome. People who start rumors are troublesome types, I hate to say. What's the point of rumors? It's to cause trouble. It's to steer up trouble. And so here there are rumors going on about. Number two, the rumors are that Paul is telling Jews to turn away from their ancient customs. And it's simply false. A lot of times rumors are false. They're not true. Number three, again, is not the case. These These rumors are false. Number four, even if Paul did say these things, so what? Would it be wrong? Because don't forget, Jesus Christ came to establish a new covenant and to recommend that Jews avoid these burdens that their fathers had to suffer. Is that really a bad thing? Well, let's see how, in the next few slides, I want to look at what Paul, and we'll read through quite quickly. I want to look at what Paul's uh, view on on the Gentiles and the Old Testament customs. We, we know, first of all, in Acts 15, we've already read this. So again, I'm going to read it fast. This is summarized. It's, not, it's, it's a little portion. It's, it's a reminder of what they've already agreed upon, you know, years earlier. In Acts fifteen five it says that some of the believers who belonged to the party of the Pharisees stood up and said, the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. That was the issue they dealt with. The Gentiles, not the Jews who are turning, but the Gentiles. Because the issue was the Jews, believers were saying, from the party of the Pharisees, were saying that the Gentiles should be circumcised as well. So what about that issue? Well, this is how they dealt with that issue in verse 6. The apostles and elders met to consider the question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke? Okay, this great burden that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear. No, he goes on to say, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved, just as they are. Later on, it says, or next, it says, the whole assembly became silent as listened to the testimony of Barnabas and Paul. They go on to say later on, it is my judgment Therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. Instead, we should write to them, telling them to abstain. So there are some moral issues that they want them to to deal with. Abstaining from food polluted with idols, sexual morality, and from meat strangled animals, and from blood. Then therefore, this is the conclusion of the whole council. This is again, Peter and the elders an agreement speaking here. Therefore, we are sending Judas and Silas to confirm by word of mouth what we are writing. It seems good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything. And this is them returning to the church to Antioch, okay? Beyond the following requirements. And they repeat the bit about abstaining from food polluted by idols and sexual morality and stuff like that, okay? So this is the ordinance dealt with, the Gentiles. Okay, they sat, they talked about this. They basically agreed there's no point in subjecting them to the law. Let's move on from there. Let's move on from there. There's issues of morality we'll deal with. However, the law and the customs of the Old Testament, the strict Judeo customs, we're gonna move on from there. They didn't say anything about the Jews, whether or not they wanted to practice it or not. I mean, nothing was said about that. It was the Gentiles. We don't wanna force them. But yet there is this language about a yoke or a burden, which is negative. Why would you want to put a burden on yourself if you didn't have to? Why would you? It seems like it doesn't make sense. That's why I said earlier, it's like, so what if Paul recommended the Jews, Christians uh, abstain from these things? There, it was just a burden. Why would you want to go back to it? But some people, that's how old time religion sometimes works. Sometimes people feel comforts in these things. Next slide. So here's some more Pauline doctrines on these cultural matters. Romans 14, just briefly, I'm going to read through quite quickly. It's right there. Accept the one one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. The issue is quarreling and disputable matters. Paul sees it's more important when it comes to the issues like these things that we avoid the quarreling, these disputable matters. It goes on to say, for God has accepted them. He's accepted these ones who are different. He talked about faith that's weak, faith that's strong. For Paul, faith that's weak is faith that needs these Old Testament, these old, you know, yeah, these old ways. It helps them to express their faith. But the person who's strong in faith we can take them or leave them. They don't care because their faith is strong. They don't need these things to tie themselves to Verse 4, who are you to judge someone else's servant? That's These are the important issues. Who are you to judge someone's servant? To their own master's servants, stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. So it's really between, a matter between them and God, these, these, these scruples, these little issues. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. There's the issue. What is God? If you have a relationship with God, and that's what Jesus was all about, that's what the cross is all about, having a relationship with God. If you believe in Jesus Christ and you are saved, if you're a born again person of the Holy Spirit, then you should have an encounter with God and you should have a daily relationship with him and where he is telling you and where he's convincing you in your mind what's right and what's wrong. If you're convinced, then you don't have to start shouting at other people and convincing them your way. Why? Because you're convinced. The reason, people start to control other people only when they're not convinced. If they have doubts, well, I think it's right that we that we should do this. So why are you not doing it what I'm doing? Well, because we don't see it that way, you know? And, and, and again, these are, these, are, these are quarrelsome matters. These are little matters. This isn't doctrinal. This isn't theological. These are little things like, well, should you circumcise your son? Don't come talk to me about it, okay? Please. If you want to do it, do it. Don't come talk to me about it, okay? It's up to you and God. You see what I'm saying? These are other issues that that, 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 that don't if you want to get your child dedicated for the church, it's between you and God. I'm not going to force you. You want to get baptized, it's between you and God. I'm not going to force you. These are the issues we're talking about here. Okay? These, aren't, these aren't doctrinal or theological issues that, that, that determine whether or not you're saved or not, okay? whether or not you're a Christian or not. These are things that are up to you. And it's only determined on your relationship with God, what He's putting into your mind, if you will. But if you do do these things, don't condemn other people. Well, I was baptized. Why won't you baptize? Because they're not ready. They don't want to, whatever. I don't, I, you know, I mean, come on, you know, uh, whatever, you know, you eat my pudding. Oh, what's wrong with you? You do Halloween. Oh, what's wrong with you? Well, there's different reasons why you do or don't do certain things. Again, one day you'd be more sacred than another. But for me personally, I guess they're all days alike. I'm a big proponent of recapturing God's creation, giving it back to him. I believe all days belong to God. Even the days the pagans try to steal away. They belong to God. They have no right taking it away from him. Foods. Now, I don't eat black pudding because it's disgusting. But if you want to eat it, just don't tell me about it. I don't care. Next slide. No, no, not quarreling because we're not talking about doctrines. We're not talking about what's right or wrong. We're talking about a matter of taste. It's a big difference. Galatians 5. It is for freedom. So you know, here's the bottom line. It's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then. Do not let yourself burn again by a yoke of slavery. Again, if he told these Jewish believers that they should maybe consider not going back to these things, I think it's good advice. But it's up to them to decide whether or not they want to do these practices or not. Ultimately, that's what they're being taught. But if you do it and you rely on it, you have problems. That's what Galatians is all about. If you do these things, you rely on them. Because what's happening is they were trying to convince everyone to follow the laws of Moses. Because we know Paul, he, he, he encouraged Timothy to get circumcised. And so he there's no problem with the, the act in within itself. But the problem is if you start to live and base your salvation upon it, it's troublesome. It becomes genuinely a yoke of slavery. My, my words, I, Paul, say... Tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised, Christ will be of no value to you at all. Again, trusting in that for your way of salvation. Again, I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised, he is obligated to obey the whole law. You who are trying to be justified, the law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away for grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor um, uncircumcised. I think this is the bottom line, this is the point. It doesn't matter if you want to get circumcised or not. It has no value. If you and your salvation, your relationship with God is based on the cross, then these things have no value. They're just things. If you like it, do it. If you don't like it, don't do it. What's important is that you have a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ and that you have an active relationship with God so you can hear from him what you ought to do in regards to your daily life, the scruples, the habits, things like that. Does that make sense? It's like what my pastors always say. Keep the main thing the main thing. Know God. Know Christ. Be passionate for his word. Make sure you have a genuine saving faith. And then after that, let God direct you and lead you. But, but don't put your scruples. Don't put your burdens on other people. Pray for them. If they're in sin, pray for them and encourage them in love. But if it's not a sinful thing, but a preference, oh, well, you're not circumcised, you're in sin. No, you're not. That's rubbish. In fact, you're in sin for saying that. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So, verse 6. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts is faith. Expressing itself through love. Which is what I was saying. Faith. Trust in Jesus Christ, the cross. Expressing itself through love. Love, that's our relationship with other people. Next slide. It's our last slide. I'm sorry for going over. Uh, I'll read it quite quickly. I'll try to, guys. I'm sorry. What shall we do in verse 22? This is back in Acts 21. What shall we do in regards to this problem? Remember the rumors we're talking about, right? What should we do about these rumors? They will certainly hear that you have come. So again, here's Paul in Jerusalem. What are we going to do? They're going to know you're here and they're going to stir up trouble. Again, God tried to warn Paul. He's there and they said, you're here, Paul. There's going to be trouble. What should we do? So verse 23, do what we tell you. There are four men with us who have made a vow. Take these men, join their purification rites, and pay their expenses so that they can have their heads shaved. (coughs) Then everyone will know there is no truth in these reports about you, but that you yourself are living in obedience to the law. As for the Gentile believers, we have written to them, our decision. So again, he's referring to the decision earlier that they should abstain from food, sacrifice to idols, from blood, from meat and of strangled animals, and from sexual morality. Now, the question here, the issue here now is like, should Paul do this or not? Is he not bowing down? Is it, is it not a sign of weakness? Is he not giving up? Is he not being defeatist if he goes along with these things? We know he's brave. We know he's stubborn. We've already seen that. But now, is he going to be defeatist? Is he going to give in? Well, what does he do? Verse 26, the next day Paul does what he says. He, d- he takes our advice. He took them in, purified himself along with them. Then he went to the temple and gave notice to the date when the days of the purification went in and the offerings made for each of them. So why did he do this? Why did he give in? Is he not being defeatist? No, I think he's not. And his justification is in this last verse, which we're going to end with this morning, guys. In First Corinthians 9, 19, this is Paul speaking here. Though I am free... And belong to no one, so he had a genuine choice to make that comes from himself, his belief and it represents his relationship with God. I have made myself a slave to everyone to win as many as possible, but however, you though he 's no slave to anyone, he decides sometimes it's good to to take directions, be a slave to people in that sense, so that he can win for the sake of the gospel as many as possible verse 20. To the Jews, I became like a Jew. And that's what he's doing here. He's being peaceful. To the Jews, I become like a Jew. To win these Jews. He wants to see the church in Jerusalem grow. If he comes and bails and leaves a bad taste in the mouth of the Jews, people might go, eh, Paul is a chump. But he wants to be cool and win them over. To these under the law, I became like one under the law. Like. He's not under the law, but he's like them. That's why he does some of these rituals. Because he wants to get to know them. Again, big part of culture is getting to be a part of people's culture so you can get to know them and get to win. That's why we do things like create. So we can be a part of these young people's culture and what they like and what they do so we can get to know them and reach them for the gospel. Again, so we can win as many as possible. So we can win those under the law. And then finally in verse 21, to those not having the law, I become like why not having a law? Again, so with the Gentiles, you know, he acts like a Gentile. You know, he's there with them. I mean, he's still, he's not doing anything naughty or anything. He's still living in faith and he's practicing his you know, scruples and his morality. But yet he tries to get in culturally to get to know them, to get to reach them. That's the point. I want to be a part of you to get to reach you. And if I have to do something that's you know, silly or small, I'll do that. But as long as I can reach you with Jesus Christ.